Today's guest is Rachel Maddox. Rachel is a trauma resolution educator, coach, and guide. She's also the author of Secret Bad Girl and the upcoming book, Sex After Trauma, which is the main topic of this discussion. So she and I speak about sexual trauma and things that people can do to, to heal after that. But we also speak about trauma in the expanded sense, because not everyone sees themselves as a victim of trauma, but everyone does experience some version of trauma, whether it's a childhood event that causes your emotions to get stuck or something that happens over time. Trauma is any time that your emotions are stuck in a, and it can show itself in unwanted patterns later in life. So uh, Rachel offers some great perspectives on healing, um, on becoming whole again, uh, so that these patterns don't run you, to go overcome whatever happened in your past, because obviously you can't prevent things from happening to you or loved ones, but how we respond to that does affect how it affects us later in life. So we do touch a little bit on like spiritual healing and some spiritual concepts, but also some very grounded psychological concepts. It's like the thing that I love that we talked about the most was um, how these like pains or I'm trying to use general language here, um, how our damages do affect how people treat us. And this shows up in patterns in relationships. It shows up in creating uh, similar situations uh, with like, calling in perpetrators, if you want to put it that way, or uh, inspiring other people to treat us in a certain way that we might not want, that you do have the power to affect how other people treat you to affect these patterns. And it was really interesting hearing her perspective on that. We also speak about uh, the very uh, current conversations on um, male-female dynamics, on Me Too, on rape culture, um, on where the power lies and, and what someone can do from any position to, to make a better reality for everyone. Um, because this is something that affects everyone, man, woman, whether you were raped or not. Uh, this is something that everyone should hear about. And even if you don't think of yourself as a trauma victim, uh, there probably are patterns you have, places where your emotions are stuck. And a lot of what Rachel shares is useful for everyone, I think. So uh, we, she's also coming out with this book next fall. Um, she has a Kickstarter up to support the book, to get into bookstores, to make it all sexy and nice. I'm, I'm excited for her to book to come out because she has some great ideas. So the link is going to be attached to this episode. You can check that out. Check out her work at rachelmaddox.com. Right now you're listening to episode 024, Rachel Maddox, Sex After Trauma. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, now we're live. Hey, Rachel. Hi. Hey, so um, like I just said, I was uh, looking through your website, reading your posts. Um, obviously, I've been trying to put piece together your story from the little bits you, you share here and there. Obviously, someone doesn't grow up looking to be a trauma expert. Um, so could you share like, how you ended up here? What brought you to this space? Yeah, totally. Um, so basically, I'll, and I'll just sort of disclaimer, I'm sure anybody who's coming to this podcast, seeing the title Sex After Trauma, is like knows what they're getting themselves into. But I will also say that I'm not going to share anything like super triggering at any point during this conversation. Um, this first line might be the most triggering part, which isn't really that bad, which is just that I experienced some pretty intense sexual trauma at a youngish age, um, you know, prepubescent into my teenage years. Mm -hmm. And so after that happened, 
um, it sort of spiraled a lot of really unhealthy sexual experiences. And then I got married and I was in like a really great, safe, emotionally safe relationship that was also very sexless, which was for me at the time, physically what I needed. Um, but when we broke up, I was single again for the first time as an adult. And I had a bunch of really violating experiences also just didn't really know how to manage my own sexuality. I'm a really sexual person. I had no idea how to manage it because I was just like, went from hypersexuality at a young age to no sexuality for eight years back into the world. Like, Oh my God, what do I do with this sexual being that I am? Mm -hmm. And also had tons of shame and just thought, well, all of this fucked up stuff that's going on is clearly my fault. Like I'm an idiot. I can't figure this out. Hmm. I had no idea that I was living under a trauma spell that because of the experiences I had at an early age and because of like our very sex negative and shameful sex culture, um, I didn't have a regulated relationship to sex. And not only did I not have a re regulated relationship to sex, my entire nervous system was dysregulated. My entire embodied reality was constantly going from high highs to low lows. And I didn't have like bipolar. Yeah. Gotcha. Can, can you say what you mean by regulated sex? What does that mean? Yeah. So like a regulated healthy sex relation or relationship to sex would look like, um, you know, what, what your body likes and you align your, your experiences to your needs for emotional and physical safety. You mm -hmm. have as much or as little sex as really turns you on. And you have the kind of sex that really turns you on with the kind of people who really turn you on and the amount that really turns you on. Mm -hmm. So a regulated relationship to sex feels really good. You feel turned mm -hmm. on, you feel healthy, you feel confident. Also healing happens in regulated relationships to sex. Like in our society, we all have body shame. We all have feelings of isolation and disconnection. So regulated relationships to sex are like remembrance in my experience. Mm -hmm. So you feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, that like when the, the trauma happened at a young age, this kind of like put you not on the same page with yourself so that you couldn't get what you needed uh, during sex? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So basically, um, what are the messages that you internalize both in terms of your mind and your psychology and your body? when you have non-consensual sexual experiences while your brain is still developing? Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of like the question. And the answer that I see both in what my own lived experience was and in the humans that I work with is you lose your ability sometimes to even feel what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. You can lose your ability to speak um, and to voice what's going on. A lot of times you lose a feeling that you're worth having what you want, that that's even a possibility because you're wired for the opposite, which is you don't matter. Because if you had mattered, why would somebody have violated you? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, different it's different from, from someone, someone who perhaps has this trauma happen as an adult. I think that you can have that same experience where you're, you're all of a sudden kind of physiologically overtaken by these things, by like a feeling of voicelessness, by a feeling of not mattering, anxiety, dissociation. But I think that when things happen anytime before age 18, um, the like impact. Yeah, imprinted. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so 
I've most of what I know about trauma I've read more casually from like Peter Levine's work. Are you familiar with his? Yeah. I imagine you are. Yeah. Um, and, and I just recall like that. Um, have you seen the YouTube clip of the polar bear like shaking? And, mm-hmm. and I remember I, I read one of your blogs about like being able to get past some blocked emotions in a dance class, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I was curious though, like when, when I think about people who've experienced traumatic events, especially at a young age, aside from protecting them, obviously is the best situation from bad things happening but it's also impossible is there something that like you could teach perhaps an eight-year-old so like if something were to happen to them they could shake like the polar bear or something that that maybe they can't defend themselves in a certain situation but they can let it move through them so it doesn't become like trapped emotion is that even possible or is that like a silly ideal yeah no it's awesome it's a great question and it's totally possible um i'm so glad you asked it too because i really think that what we teach our kids is what our future holds. Um, so we have to be able to teach them. We have to know what to do. Um, two things come to mind. One, there's this amazing program. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's something like more than just no, I can't remember. I'll find it and send it to you, but all of these, um, this organization has been doing all of these consent workshops for kids in Africa. And basically what they do is they teach the girls to scream. They teach the girls to scream no and to like push and to make a scene because Mm -hmm. girls are not taught to do that. Girls are taught to be Mm -hmm. quiet. Girls are taught to obey. Girls are taught to like, well, sorry, boys will be boys. They're not taught to scream and to be respected for that. And then they teach the boys to um, look for possible violations and to stop them to like come in and be like the hero essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is super cool to be teaching those things as a culture, but let's say you're, you know, in this society and nobody's taught your kids consent in elementary school. Um, yeah, we can tell our children that we're animals. Part of us is animals. And so when we have things that really rattle us to our core, that scare us in our bodies, instead of trying to process them in our mind, can we first move through them in our bodies? So let's say you had some scary experience happen, making sure to get yourself to the right distance where you're actually safe. So getting yourself into a safe environment and then doing whatever you can to feel the physiological feelings that are still in your body. So yeah, shaking your body, dancing, screaming, punching a pillow, whatever definitely, definitely good for kids. But also part of what gets severed is when you have interpersonal violation, the feeling of interpersonal safety is what is also getting broken. So there's a physical thing that's happening where your body is still like under the trauma spell of the physiological fight, flight, or freeze that's stuck in your system. But there's also that emotional piece of like, is it safe to belong? And that's why it's really helpful. Like, let's say you had a kid who had an experience just to be with them and to be like, what do you need? I'm not leaving. I'm here for you. I believe you. I can follow your instincts and your guidance and really allowing um, whoever had that violating experience to be the guide, Hmm. like staying with them, being in relationship, because that's part of the hardest thing is like the isolation that happens because you're afraid to admit something bad happened to you. Hmm. I'm curious on your thoughts of like the 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 gender stuff because you mentioned with like the it was the African school like oh boys being protectors and like oh is that kind of like traditional but actually like the, like the thing that like comes to mind I, I have a friend 
who um, grew up in South America. He's he's a guy. He had a male babysitter. Um, they had like an unconsensual unconsensual sexual history, but mm-hmm. he talks about it so um, without charge. And I've always wondered, like, is he covering up trauma, or did he really just not like let anything stick? Like he's like, yeah, like my babysitter was a confused guy, and he wanted love, and that's how what happened. And I don't think about it. I was like, how could you? I've never heard anyone speak about that, and I I wonder if it was if it did have something to do with him being a man or did have something to do with something healthy or if he's actually deluded. I've always wondered about that. (laughs) Well, I can't know because I don't know that person, but I can say from my experience, I always talked about, well, okay. I didn't talk about what happened until I was like 18, but Mm -hmm. once I started talking about it, I would tell anyone. I'd be like, yeah, I lost my virginity to statutory anal rape. No big deal. They'd be like, what? But I hadn't processed the like I hadn't actually healed my trauma so there's a way that sometimes before we go into this deep descent of actually doing this healing work we can kind of just talk about it on the surface like it's not a big deal and we don't really realize that it is a big deal until something until shit hits the fan somewhere in our lives and we're like oh I have to deal with this and for me like I ended up developing I ended up having all these experiences in my mid and late 20s that pointed me toward you have to deal with this Otherwise, I wouldn't have, because who wants to? Right. Keep the keep everything looking good up top. Right. Um, how did how did you make the connection though with the the childhood trauma? Like when because like some of the things you mentioned seem like they could have come from a lot of things, like having a sexless marriage or doing something else. Like what made it clear that that was the connection, or there was a connection? Yeah. Um, well. Part of what happened is I was, I was, there was a lot of things that made a clear, a clear connection for me. One of them was I was doing a bike trip. I lived on a bicycle for eight months and my husband and I biked across the country together. Um, and when we were doing that, I was having nonstop flashbacks to these sexually violating experiences at bicycle seat in between my legs, you know? Um, so that was one piece. Another piece is I kept having sexually violating experiences or like kept having things going wrong in my sex life. And then I developed chronic pain in my vulva. Um, so I just started being like, okay, what's the deal? And it was sort of like I was this magnet. Like everywhere I went, people were harassing me. And I was like, and that's not to say that it was my fault that that was happening, but I felt like this is just so in my face. Like I have to deal with it. And then I ended up having vaginal melanoma. So I had cancer like right next to my clit. I had to have a surgery, have like a marble size of my pleasure center removed. So I was in so much pain, like literal physical pain and having so many flashbacks to just all of these painful experiences that it was just really clear, like, all right, I got to deal with this. Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the recurring, like the pattern, um, because I do, I do believe that, especially with relationships and how people treat us, like we do have patterns. Like, it's, like everyone can look at their exes and be like, oh, like all my exes have this weird quirk or whatever, or this thing yeah. keeps happening me on dates or whatever it is. Um, I'm curious, that, like, what is, what do you think it is? Because we could definitely go into like a spiritual realm of like, it's like your karma or something, you know, that you're causing or something that you're giving off to people. Like, what, what is your take on it? Well, in the trauma field, the way that they talk about it, and this is this is one of my beliefs. So we'll start with this one. 
um, is the idea that we have what's called a Taurus, which is like your embodied energy field. And it's like a three-dimensional donut around your body and it goes through the center of you and there's a midline. And what can happen is when we experience violation, it's sort of like a break in that Taurus. So for me, you know, I've had this break in my, my second chakra, like at my sexual level. And that break is sort of like this opening and it's in a magnetic attractor. And with trauma, they talk about this, that like your fight, flight, or freeze energy gets stored in your system and it wants to complete itself. And that's why we'll kind of be working in this, you know, hyper arousal state all the time or a hypo arousal collapse. Like we'll either be super anxious or like super depleted because we're always living as if this emergency is still happening in our bodies. And we're living that emergency from whatever place we experienced it. So for me, for example, um, I my first experience was anal statutory rape. And then I broke my tailbone. I pulled my groin. I got vaginal melanoma. Like these were just the physical manifestations um, at the same energetic frequency. Always broke, right? They say the second chakra is like money, sex, and spirit. So totally like a mess financially was um and the idea though is that we have inherent treatment plans our bodies our taurus our natural blueprint of health wants to come back online however we've got this like glitch in our humanness where our hyper processing mind is trying to like solve everything intellectually but it's a physiological issue so i think that it's both um this physiological piece is why we kind of reattract because we're like, like if you have some kind of, um, there's also all these studies that show how emotional violence creates physical violence, which is really just all talking about the energetic plane. So I think mm-hmm. on an energetic level, we experience violence and violation in certain places of our system. And then it's this process of reclaiming our own space, reclaiming our temple, like cleaning, clearing the things that have happened completing our incomplete emergency responses of fight, flight, and freeze and Mm. coming back into a state of health, which is both an energetic, physiological, and spiritual journey. So is like the idea with the, with the Taurus for, for, for for instance, like being like, it's like damaged, right? And like, does that attract more perpetrators until it's healed? Is that the idea? Yeah. It's like a magnetic attractor. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause like I've been, I've been writing a piece about, um, dominance between little boys like how it starts like at a young age in like all male situations like you see it in the playground i see it with my girlfriend's kids and her in his male friends as you know um and like it's like when a when a boy shows a certain kind of weakness or like insecurity the other boys pounce on him like it's like it's sad to see it but like even at little a- young ages where they don't like think of anything they're not trying to make power plays like suddenly a hierarchy just develops if a boy yeah. shows weakness so yeah, I guess that makes sense with like, as an adult, if you're putting this out there, maybe you attract the people that want to do that kind of thing or have that in them too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's how you're wired. You're wired for that kind of experience until you rewire for a different kind of experience. Hmm. All right. So I want to talk about the rewiring, obviously. Cool. Um, and I, I, I love the, one of your blogs about justice and retaliation. Um, but I, I honestly wasn't cu- like clear on like what was the difference. Like, can you speak a little bit about that? And if there's a relationship to like healing that Taurus in the in the process of working with someone who might be a violator? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so retaliation is you've hurt me. I want to hurt you back. Justice, transformative justice, which is the kind of justice I'm interested in, is let's heal together. Hmm. And what's required for healing to happen together? Um, there has to be admission to fault. There has to be an empathetic understanding of what your actions have done. There has to be like even maybe explaining your motives, like really deeply understanding why you did what you did. Um, there has to be some kind of promise to do things differently, right? That's like sort of the formula for transformative justice for the person who experienced the violation to get to share how it it affected them. And for the person who violated to really apologize, acknowledge, and also explain themselves and commit to something new and different. Um, is the premise though, that when a perpetrator creates, does like an act like that, it is externalized pain, so they have a wound. Is that the idea behind the healing together? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Right. Hurt people hurt people. Right. Like, they do. It's true. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with a lot of different kinds of people. I do think some people are really um, harder. It's harder to rehabilitate some. Like rehabilitation is not necessarily like easy. Um, mm-hmm. Hardcore nar- narcissism, <clears throat> really hard to recover from because part of the illness of narcissism is you can't actually see yourself clearly Mm. or you can't access empathy. But anyway, um, does this, how does this affect your Taurus? Like to get to have that kind of experience where you're actually acknowledged, where you're actually validated. Um, it creates like more room, like that emergency gets to like calm down a little bit and you get to like, reclaim your own space like reclaim yourself as a valid whole human so Mm. retaliation and justice are really really different retaliation is you hurt me i want to hurt you it doesn't create healing Hmm. what if that um what if the perpetrator like you just said like doesn't see why they need they don't acknowledge they need any sort of healing they don't acknowledge they have a pain point what if that person just isn't available for any sort of communication or punishes the the victim for like trying to speak up and be vulnerable like what do you do because i'd imagine that's the biggest fear right like even with like small traumas which maybe aren't life-changing like just reaching out to someone and saying hey i'm hurt here's what i'm going through might get a fuck you back and then that's scary to bring up and that's why people don't yeah totally well so there's transformative justice which is like the end of the road like our ideal goal but there's also just like straight up justice, which to me is really about right distance and safety. Hmm. So, you know, what is, what is justice? It's like putting somebody in the right place, having them experience consequences that are effective for what they have done based on what they're available for too. Like some people are not available for transformation. Great for them. They just need consequences. And that might be the most transformative thing they can get. So mm-hmm. part of the question that I'm also hearing you like, it seems like what you're really asking though, is like, what do you do with the people who won't acknowledge that they've caused Mm -hmm. harm? And I think you as the person who experienced some kind of violation have to come first. So you have to ask yourself, is this a safe person to try to get healing with? Like, are they someone who has the emotional maturity to acknowledge fault? Mm -hmm. And if not, um, what would be a better alternative for me? 
So it might be a better alternative for you to just tell your story to a whole bunch of people who will believe you mm -hmm. or, you know, something like that. Um, you have the right, you, like you don't, you don't have to be the one to inflict consequences or justice on somebody else. You can let karma do that if you'd like and just get the support and healing that you need for yourself. Um, do you ever recommend taking justice into your own hands in the sense of like setting the other person's consequences? Well, I don't know that we can. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we punish some? But so like, I think you can be public. You can publicly share what's happened between you and somebody else. I mean, I've had the experience of, I called somebody once, um, like a few years later, maybe a year later after I experienced like a pretty obvious and severe date rape. And I was like, I just want you to know, I've been dealing with a lot of things. I'm healing a lot of things. Like I have cancer. This is a point where I had cancer. I was like, and I want you to know that like what happened that night wasn't okay. Like that was clearly rape. Um, I'm not here to punish you, but I just want you to know that like, I have to move through this. So I needed to acknowledge this with you. And he was like, well, I don't remember it being like that. And I was like, I don't really care what you remember or not. I'm just saying between you and me, that was rape. You raped me. And he was like, okay, well, I'm sorry. You're suffering. And so I didn't do it to give him consequences. Mm -hmm. I didn't even do it to get an apology. I needed it to just be like a moment of truth between me and this man. And if he wasn't going to like, like, I just needed him to know, I know you raped me. I'm telling you right now, that behavior is not okay. Yeah. Do what you want with it. I'm going to heal. And part of my healing was acknowledging to you that that was not okay. Is there anything for a woman in, in that exact same situation, say it happened yesterday or that night, or like where, where the violation is happening? Looking back, is there something that you recommend to be done immediately that would perhaps prevent the trauma from happening in the first place? Um, those seem like two different questions. Like, what do you do immediately after you've experienced a violation and how do you prevent violation? Uh, prevent trauma. Because like, I think, yeah, because instead of being stuck for a year or coming down with different manifestations in your body, is there something that can be done like when terrible things happen, specifically with that situation? Mm -hmm. Like, is there something you recommend to women? Yeah, I mean, I think part of what's challenging is, um, and I want to say this in case you've been in this situation, like, there can be shame of like, well, why did I wait so long? Or what's wrong with me? Or and what happens is like, there's just so much shame that comes over you when you have an experience like that. You think it's your fault. You think you did something wrong. Um, like there's like really a big question of like, well, who can I tell? Oh my God, I can't tell anyone. Oh my God, what will people think? And, and then that's where it all gets repressed and stored even more deeply in your body. So I think What's really important is to one, tell, tell someone who you really trust um, and, you know, just say to them, like, I don't really want a lot of commentary on this. I don't want you to be like telling me what we have to do to make justice happen. Like, I just want you to know, like, I'm struggling. This happened. And then I would say immediately get some kind of therapeutic body work, whether it's like a trauma resolution practitioner um, there's somatic experiencing practitioners all over the country, all over the world. Um, or even like 
acupuncture or um, something that will help move things energetically in your body, like a really trusted um, energetic body worker who you don't have any doubts about their safety. Cause that's another thing that happens. Like once you've had that kind of experience, you start to like, just get a little bit hypervigilant, like, Oh my God, well, can I trust anyone? So honestly, I think sitting side by side with a really good friend, like shoulder to shoulder with someone who you really, really trust is probably the best thing to do. Like literally lean your shoulder into somebody else and let your body have whatever experiences it wants to have crying, shaking, rah, roaring, raging, whatever it is. Have you had clients or, or I'm sure people come to you and they don't know how to like, they're like, yes, I understand. I need to like, let the rage out and the grief out, but I, I, I won't cry. Like, I know I, as a man, I, I know that like I get emotionally clogged and like, yeah, I, I know the value of crying, but like, what do I, how do I get it out? Like, it's not just like, what do you do with such people? Or so, yeah, yeah. Well, with women, the thing that women often have a harder time accessing is anger with men it's often grief um so with women what i often suggest when they're in that place of like i know it would be really good if i could get angry you know they tell me their whole long life story of horrible things they're like and i don't have any anger and i'm like um is to first start by writing a list of all the things you never got to say no to it will make you very angry all the things you never got to say no to. And then taking some time to feel like, what is this bringing up in my body? Is it bringing up rage? Is it bringing up grief? Is it bringing up shame? Those are the three main emotions that come up around these things, grief, rage, and shame. And then maybe matching some music to whatever feeling emerges. So if it's rage, can you put on an angry song? And can you let yourself dance or move or ah, like feel some of that anger in your body? Or if it's grief, can you play a sad song and let yourself cry or let yourself get under your covers or whatever it is? If it's shame, can you let yourself, again, like let yourself hide, let yourself have that feeling of like, oh my God, I don't want anyone to know how could I have ever done this? You know, and as we let ourselves feel the feeling, that's when they start to shift. In. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's like, well, the thing I loved about your dance blog um, was that uh, a friend of mine was trying to like help me get my cry out. Like this was last week and like we tried talking and nothing. And then we tried, uh, she tried doing body work on me, nothing. And then at one point she tackled me and I just spazzed out. And then finally, like I got mm -hmm. some tears out. Um, but it is something that I struggle with a lot still too. Like, it's just like the bad, like, I, I won't let myself feel bad sometimes. And then it gets like, you just get frozen and numb. Um, and I'd imagine, yeah, that must be far worse in a trauma situation. Yeah. I also think there's something to be said for like writing things with your own hands, like with like pens, you know, writing in your own handwriting. Like you could just, I think the right question can open a lot of emotions and also our hands physiologically are connected to our hearts. So when we write with our hands, we feel more emotion. Hmm. Um, so maybe a question for kind of opening the portal to, to grief is like, what is there to like, what do I feel hopeless about? Hmm. You know, and these are the kinds of things we don't want to ask. Like, what are all the things I never got to say no to? What do I feel hopeless about? Hmm. But to let yourself really just be in that question and feel the feelings like there's valid sadness. There's valid anger. 
Do you ever meet people who you know are doing a really good job of stuffing down the negative emotions, but they won't? Like, do you ever feel like you need to convince someone to go there? Or do you just like let people have their thing come up that forces them to look at it? Yeah, I don't do forced interventions. (laughs) (laughs) I let people's process kind of unwind. Um, But most of the people who come to me, they might like explain themselves a little here and there, but people are kind of ready, ready Mm -hmm. to feel when they get to my door. (laughs) I'm like the last stop. They're like, oh God, I got to go to the trauma lady. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts on like uh, like smaller traumas. Like for instance, catcalling is a huge discussion right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I I see a lot of different competing theories, like even like from people who seem to be on the same, of the same ideology. Like I see feminists arguing with feminists a lot. what is your take? And actually, just for like a little background with catcalling, like a lot of my female friends, obviously, especially in New York, it's like it's it's a big deal. And um, one piece of advice I heard from a woman was when you get catcalled, throw it back at them, like throw your call back at them. And I've I've heard that being a very controversial statement of like because like the the idea was like you're letting yourself get catcalled, so you you take the responsibility back and and send it back, but. Some people think that's like a terrible way to look at it. What What is your take on things like that, which are violations, but relatively smaller? So things like catcalling, right? These microaggressions that women deal mm-hmm. with all the time. It's like the air we breathe. So it's mm-hmm. the toxicity of our culture. And it's the, it's, it's part of the, make up part of the recipe of rape culture, part of the way, part of the reason why we think, well, maybe they won't believe me if I tell my story, or maybe I don't matter, or maybe my voice shouldn't be heard, or maybe he comes first, right? It's another piece to this very insidious puzzle that is the female body doesn't matter. Um, here's what I do in terms of catcalling. Um, when I'm in big cities, I'm in San Diego right now, so this is like nothing and everybody's wearing like thongs and bathing suits. So it's, it's a different culture. It's weird. Like, I don't know. I don't, I have, I've actually never felt so physically safe in my body, like to be sensual and like then here. Um, and I think it's just cause it's really warm and there's just like a lot of bodies everywhere. But if I'm going someplace like San Francisco or New York or DC or wherever, um, what I will do is, if especially if I'm feeling that energy, I'll call light into my second chakra, into my womb, into my pussy. I'll just like imagine this like a sacred flame of light, and then I just I just glow. And here, this is going to sound so stupid. Like it seems like what? How is that contrary to catcalling? But when you glow, like when you emanate, yeah, sometimes people still say things to you, but it's a whole different vibe because now I'm not in a place of like, you're going to violate me. I'm, I'm this thing that has to kind of be guarding off violation. Instead, I'm like, yo, you are going to worship me. You're going to think I'm beautiful. You're going to call me like a sacred temple. Yeah. So then when somebody says something to me, I'm like, thank you. Or like, I just, there's something that happens for me when I invoke that light inside that I don't experience that kind of thing as much. 
And I want to be really careful, right? I think I preface this by saying like, this is the insidious rape culture that we live in and it's a toxicity. And so I'm not trying to, to, um, deny the toxicity of the culture that we live in, or even say like, Oh, you're attracting it. Or even say like, um, that the solution is all just in your head. But I do think that we have to all co-create something new. And part of the task for women, and this is a really hard thing to hear because women, we want to just be like, well, we're the victims and men have to fix it. Or we want to be like, well, but I'm not a victim. You know, I'm a survivor and men have to Mm -hmm. fix it. But it's actually like, we're all victims, all of us, and we all have to fix it. Men and women, we like all humans suffer from rape culture and all humans are responsible for healing it. And so part of my responsibility as a woman is to reclaim my sacredness and to emanate light and to emanate a a feeling and and to emanate sovereignty. Like you can't fuck with me. It's just not possible. Hmm. You can love me or you can leave. And when we emanate that, when like people are like, whoa, it it actually shifts the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It goes back to the justice thing of like the cat collar. It also must be in pain to like cause something like that. And I, but, and on that, like it puts all the power back into the individual. Like they can, they can at least control their section of reality. And mm-hmm. if every victim did that, then perhaps there'd be nothing for like a violator to stick on. Is, I mean, is that fair to say? Um, I think what would happen. So in an ideal world, like the vision I could see would be there are so many women in their sovereign, sensual power, and they know how to circle a man who is suffering in isolation and love him. Because hmm. what that man needs is, a pre- is attention, is love, is connection, is probably touch. And so all of these women could circle around that man and say, can we give you what you need? Hmm. Have you ever spoken to someone who, who's catcalled or catcalls? To, to the guy, to the man? Yeah, to a guy, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and I've been pissed off. I've done my uh, whole, like, fuck you. I've done all the things. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say I haven't. I'm probably making it sound like I don't. But I, I but have I had just, like, a conversation? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I've been trying to pull guys I know to find, like, it's like, I, I've obviously seen catcalling. Like, I know what it is. I know it exists, obviously. But I don't know anyone who does it, so I don't even know what the impulse is, like, like a lot of the conversations I'm reading about like gender and consent, like or talk about catcalling so much, but I don't know a single guy who has done it and I know they exist, but I just don't know where, where are they that I can't find them. <laughs> like, I hate to say it, but it's usually construction workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why that is. I'm going to research that. Well, think about it. They're like taking these huge things and like drilling into the earth. Like they're doing this like forceful, violent, all the time, they probably want something soft to connect to. Yeah. And I, and I, I said, I, cause it always feels like it's a consequence less action for them, especially if you're on a construction site from a higher place, like there's no immediate consequence in most situations. They probably don't even think about it that much. Or like, it's a very safe way to just, it's just like uh, writing mean comments on the internet. It's a very safe way to be mean. Like there's no consequences to you in the moment. So, so it probably causes that. Right. And like, as a, as a woman, if there's like a bunch of men, then you don't want to say something because you could, you feel like you're in danger. But a lot of the things I've seen that have been cool or whatever, like I've seen these ideas of like, cause a scene, you know, be like, I cannot believe you're doing this right now. 
like just like I don't know, there's a lot of approaches. Um I'm I'm kind of a nonviolent approach type person. I'm sort of like deal with my violence in a therapy setting and then be really loving in the world. Mm-hmm. There's no right way, that's just mine. So is your book uh I'd imagine it's it has a bunch of advice specifically. Like, could you say a little bit about like what is is it what is what is in your book? Yeah. So, sex after trauma. There's three parts to the book. The first part, um, I really talk about the way trauma works, the physiology of it, how it resolves. But also, there's this idea of a seed of desire. Like, why why do you want your sex life to heal? There's some reason. There's something that called you to this work. To, to healing your sexuality and whatever that is. Maybe it's you love your partner, but you feel unsafe with them. Or maybe you want to feel pleasure in your body again, or maybe you have a ton of sexual shame and you're just sick of it. There's some seed of desire that brought you here. And with all seeds, they have to get planted underground. And so the second part of the book is the underworld. Um, what are the violations that we experience interpersonally and how do they heal? What do we have to reclaim? And so I talk about the six different interpersonal violations, neglect, exploitation, shame and repression, oppression, violence, and manipulation and control, and the reclamation for each of those. So worthiness, sovereignty, whole self-expression, transformative justice, empowered safety, and choice and consent. And in all of this, I tell lots of stories and also have strategies and prompts and practices, but like... I'm a storyteller in my writing a lot. Um, And then the third piece, like you've planted your seed into the underworld, you've cleansed the soil. Now you can grow. Now you can emerge and cross a threshold and become something new that you haven't been before. And so we cross the threshold into what I call heaven on earth. And this is embodied, like deep embodiment, um, aligned identity, right? When we do all this deep transformative work, our identities shift, your sexual identity shifts, but also your whole way of relating to the world shifts. Um, and then also right relationship, crossing a threshold into sex that feels awesome, relationships that feel awesome. So that's that's the book. Awesome. I'm, I'm, something just came to mind about, um, I mean, everyone experiences some versions of trauma and it, a lot of the times it defines a person. And when someone experiences a serious trauma usually has a huge impact and when people go through it and it sounds like what you're sharing is there's a lot of power and a lot of joy on the other side when you get through it. Um, and I, I always think about this question, like, does one need to go through suffering to be powerful? Does one need to go through suffering to be interesting? And uh, that, that seems to be the case, but it's like a very unfortunate way to look at <laughs> the human experience. Like you have to suffer to have something cool. Well, maybe, maybe a more, doesn't everyone suffer though? Mm. Like, can anyone avoid suffering? I don't think so. I think Mm -hmm. that we, we just, this is, I like the metaphor of the seed because it's like, there's this blueprint of health in every seed and we're just going down into the underworld to like, see what's there. Is my soil healthy? Can my roots grow wide here? Like, is there room for me? Am I getting watered? Am I getting nourished? You can look at that as like, I don't know. I think that we do all have to suffer. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's just life. Like we're all going to die. Like we all get wounded. Um, 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I've heard this like debate a lot, like the most creative, interesting people usually had fucked up childhoods. And so then like you think like, is it good for a person to have like a perfect childhood if it was possible or are we just supposed to scrape our knees and, and worse? Well, it's funny. Cause okay. If, if we go on that idea, like the most, um, you know, inspirational people had fucked up childhoods. What about all the people who had really fucked up childhoods who are still fucked up? So I don't know that it's like what, I mean, I watched Jerry Seinfeld's little documentary. He wasn't that, he had a great childhood. Hmm. Boom. There's an example. Cool. <laughs> like I think there are plenty of really inspirational people who didn't have super ch- fucked up childhoods. I think all it matters is like, what do you do with what you're given? What do you do with hmm. that seed? Like, do you go down? And I, but I do think we all have to go into our, the underworld. Um, at some point, we all have to wrestle with our shadows. We all have, we, we if you really want to grow tall, you're going to have to grow like deep. Hmm. So struggle or no struggle, we all have to go to the depths of ourselves to be yeah. something great. Yeah. It's just something I've been thinking about because I, I've wondered if, do I spend too much time pondering my shadows personally? Like, should I just like let it go? Or am I like trying to search for this ideal? I don't know. Um, I'm cool, so curious like, about your shadows. I'm so curious about you. <laughs> this has uh, been so one-sided. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been these. Uh, everything I'm asking about, I am thinking about, like my personal situation. Like, I do go into like these cyclical, like depressive states where I wonder why I keep going here. So, like, I, even though I'm, I keep asking about trauma, like I am asking for myself in some way. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so your book is coming out next year, right? And yes, coming out in the fall. Cool. Um, and so right now, like we have the link to the uh, to the um, Kickstarter down there. Um, we're going to attach it to the podcast. Um, is there anything you want people to know about where to find your work, how to support you? Yeah. So I'm running a Kickstarter between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and basically I'm self producing, self publishing this book, but like high quality, getting it out into bookstores, not just like on Amazon. Um, so there's 17 different ways that we can mutually support each other, like rewards that you can back the book and I can then support you. So if you check out the Kickstarter and if it resonates with you, go ahead and back it, or maybe even just share the link on your social media. Nowadays, we know that like sexual trauma is an epidemic, but three years ago when I did my first book Kickstarter, like no one was talking about sexual trauma. And so I was really constantly saying like, you just never know who in your life needs this, but I still think that's true. Even with all the me too's, like we just don't know what people are experiencing behind closed doors. So um, sharing about the Kickstarter would be super helpful for me. Yeah. And super pertinent that, um, it just is like the perfect time for a book like this to come out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll have the links to the Kickstarter and your website. Uh, it's been great. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. You're delightful. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. See you next time.